welcome to FS Brew, FS Brew is the region's first podcast focusing on all things insurance and insurtech here in the UAE and the wider Middle East. I'm Vidya, I'm the founder of Forward, the startup that works with insurance companies to accelerate their go-to-market proposition, digital transformation and digital marketing initiatives. And I'm Ranjit Philip. I'm an angel investor and advise and work with startups. These days, I'm working to set up the Middle East business of a cyber insurtech company called Box Insurance. Ranjit, who are we meeting today? So we are meeting Frederick Bisberg, a very right. respected international business developer with you know, experience and expertise in digital transformation and business model innovation. He's the executive director of digitization at the national health insurance company, Daman, one of the largest insurers in the GCC region, where he oversees the company's digital transformation initiatives and he's building a digital-first, flexible, and resilient insurance company. In addition to his role at Daman, Frederick holds the position of Head of MENA and Digital Transformation Specialist at the Digital Insurer. Previously, he's been the Executive Vice President for Qatar Insurance Group, the largest composite insurer in the MENA region. Perfect. Frederick, it's great to have you here on the FS Brew podcast. Uh, it's wonderful that you agreed uh, and uh, let's get into it straight away. So, you know, this is a question that we often ask our guests. And uh, uh, the question is, how did you get into insurance? And, and then we will also want to know a little bit about your role at Dama. That, that, that's a good question. And and I, 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 I'm very opportunistic. So I've, I've never in my life planned to, to get into insurance, uh, I, I guess, I've just followed uh, follow what I've what I felt was what right at that time. Uh, so it's not I have many colleagues and good friends who have been like I want to do exactly this and I want to do it with this company and, and then they go die hard after that. I've, I've never done that. Uh, I came into insurance when I was working uh, for, for a company called SOS International, which is basically an emergency assistance a third party administrator. So so our owners were insurance companies and, and I was running the worldwide operations and, and trying to, to manage the international travel and emergency uh, claims. And, and I set up uh, businesses for the company in, in China and, and Thailand. Mm -hmm. and, and the next step for us was to go to, uh, to the Middle East. Right. And, and our, our, our turnaround time for, for setting up businesses and, and the money we've set aside to, to invest in setting up didn't allow me to, to find a business to acquire on our, on our own and, and simply the time of, of setting up a business in, in the Middle East at that time was, was quite long. So, so I started looking at you know, potential partners within, within the insurance industry and then we found Qatar Insurance Company out of, out of Qatar who, who had some, some similar thoughts than, than we did. So, so we, we agreed on, on creating a joint venture and then Acquiring a company out of, of out of Dubai, and it was it was during those discussions that I met the CEO and the CFO at, uh, and then they they gave me a, a very attractive offer to uh, to come to QIC and look after the, um, the the retail and SME lines end to end for for the region. So I, I moved after I asked my wife, should we should we stay in in Thailand and work, or would you like to go to to Doha? And he said, let's go to Doha. And she, at that point in time, honestly, she didn't even know uh, the country Qatar. <laughs> she, she, she wanted to try something new, and and so 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 that's that's how it happened. Um, and and I, I I came in, 
And, and the insurance industry is, and you know this better than me, of course, is not, is not the, the fastest moving industry uh, on the planet. <laughs> so, and, and so, so there was a lot of things uh, to do for, for QRC and, and for other insurers. And, and I just felt that uh, my, my way of doing things quite pragmatically, uh, and I guess you can even call it short term. I don't like long term projects because I don't believe in it. Mm. It takes long to, to get the benefits out of them. So, so that resonated quite well with uh, what I guess you can say the insurance industry needed, at least in the Middle East at that time. Instead of you know long transformation projects, then smaller, smaller, uh, uh, smaller projects with, with a quick return investment time. So, so that 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 resonated with them and with me, and yeah, that's what 10, 12 years ago now. So, right. and, and I'm still here at the reason. And you asked for you asked for demand also. Uh, in in, in demand on running the the, the transformation office, uh, the transformation and, and innovation office, and and again. It's, it's kind of the same philosophy. Uh, of course, some of the tools that we're using have changed, but, but you know, I'm, we are still working with people. Uh, and, and transformation is, in, in my world, a, a people's game. If, if people, they don't want to transform, then you're not going to go anywhere, no matter of how fancy systems and projects that you have. Yeah. So, so again, for Daman, the, the, the philosophy of, of doing the right things, but in, 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 in smaller uh, terms or projects is, is, is what we're doing. We, we are we are transforming demand quite heavily, I would say, but it, it is in, in steps of three to five months per project. So so it's not like we have a two and a half year transformation project and after that it's gonna be with a with a big bang and then we are out and say, see, we are done. So so it is it is much more incremental. And and I guess that's my goal because it's uh, for, for me it's very motivating. To see these results coming in, and, and we can we can demonstrate to the teams that hey, we said we wanted to do this, and look, we are doing it, and right. the results that we promised are actually coming. So, so in that sense, it's it's also quite motivating to to see. Yeah. So, I guess that's that's a, a brief intro to why I'm here and, and what I'm doing at Demand. Very good. That, that's great. That's great. Awesome. Awesome. You know, you speak quite extensively on the subject of digital transformation on various social media channels, um, you know, uh, specific to the insurance domain. Now, what are the top three to five things that you think an incumbent insurer should consider before they embark on this, you know, journey, really? The, the first thing is that it's not a journey that they should consider because if they're not yeah. already on it in some degree, then <laughs> they're on the way to get out of the business. But it, it's a good question. Uh, and I guess if it's probably a question of uh, me following up on what, what we just spoke about, this with transformation projects and the length of the projects. Yeah. I think uh, I think now, especially if it's for the Middle East, uh, my experience is that the Middle East is, is quite unique in the sense that the, the management, the board of directors, the, the owners expect returns with, within very short time frames. We're talking a year or yeah. quarters. So it's it's very difficult in the Middle East to get a two or three year project through. And, and I think you, you need to plan your transformation programs in that light. And again, do, do as I do, or as I suggest, right? Um, see when you do consider where to take your company on the transformation journey break it down into, into chunks that are manageable. Uh, and, and you may have may have to, to invest in some larger chunks that could be if, if you find that, that your, your core core system must be changed. Uh, I've only seen very, very few cases in my, in my history 
where that has been the case. Normally you can build a layer around it, right? But in very few cases, you have to do it simply because the software is no longer supported. And, and that is that is a longer project, but make sure that you, you build momentum before you go to that. So, so when you go and ask for the money for the board of directors, you say, you see, we've, we've been doing these smaller projects for the last six, 12 months, and they're all successful. And now uh, building on this, we need to do a longer term project. But, but even, even when you embark into a, to a longer project, I would, I would strongly advise you keep a parallel track with, with the so-called quick wins and, and showing the organization that things are moving. So, so break it down to, to smaller, sizable chunks that, that generate and prove a return on, on the time spent is, is probably the most important point. And, and if you do that, you, you also risk of, of not driving the company in the right strategic direction. So, so even before you start doing that, have a clear North Star, have a clear goal saying, this is where we want to be in three years or two years. So when you do these shorter projects, make sure that, that to, to, they are pointing towards that North Star. So at the end of the day, you are moving the company towards the, the strategic goal. Sure. Yeah. I think uh, uh, you're, you're right about the, you know, breaking it into pieces and, and uh, having a true North for the journey. Uh, and I think there's a bit of a follow-up uh, you know, what are sort of the approvals at, uh, or the challenges that you have seen at the board level? Uh, it's almost like, what is the cheat sheet that a, a digital officer should have in terms of answering the board? Um, and also about getting the culture right. I mean, it's also a mindset, as you mentioned, it's about people as well, right? So what would be sort of your advice to a, a, a digital officer? Yeah, there, there's, there are many answers to that question, uh, and, and, and let me let me if you allow me just do a, a five second advertisement for for something I've just started because I've started a, I've started a series that I call Frederick's Five, which is um, which which is uh, videos, obviously five minutes on on the topics that matters the most in in business and digital transformation, and I've started that uh, because actually to to mitigate. Uh, one of the, the questions that you just gave me, because the, the board of directors, they, they do not have in general sufficient knowledge about yeah. tech and IT. And that's perfectly understandable because they, they have another history and another past and that, that they have been chosen to be board of directors to look at, at running the business. However, running the business today is also running technology, running digital. Mm -hmm. so, so I feel it is, it is our responsibility to to educate or give these little bits of the things that you have to know as a C-level member of the board in order to help the CDO make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Because as, as, as a chief digital officer, you, you come to the board or to, to your CEO saying, we have these opportunities or problems. I suggest this, what do you suggest? Please work with me on this because I don't have the, the single truth, uh, truthful answer. So, so Everybody needs somebody to, to play ball with, right? And I feel if 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 we do our job in in also educating or the, the 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 decision makers on on what we are working on in, in this space, we will have much better colleagues in, in 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 making the right decision. So so that's one thing that's I think is very important. Uh, don't don't assume that that people they know. Uh, what 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 you expect them to know? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one thing. Another thing is. 
but but that that's following what we've been talking about so far because when you go to the board of directors and and your your, your C levels right and and you have a track record of shorter projects with, with a clear return on investment saying you see we do this and you can see the results in in this financial year this fiscal year yeah. then it is easier to get things done so 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 breaking things down in into business rationale is we're doing this because of this and this and this is how this is what we're getting out of it i think it's, it's extremely important when, when you're work, working with the with the board of directors don't 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 assume that that they know everything uh, but and, and give them something very tangible to work with you, you can't just come and uh, talk one hour about uh, tech architecture uh, rerun because they, they they wouldn't and they shouldn't be expected to understand it so so put it down into business terms and say we're doing this because otherwise this and this and this is this is the way out of it yeah right well, great piece of advice for the CDOs. But if you look at it from an insurer level itself, I know, like you rightly said, well, when, when the insurers invest in a piece of you know, digital component, whether it's a new website or a chatbot or a digital marketing activity, they want to see the cash flow right away. Now, um, education is key, but as an insurer, is there any shift that they can look at or redesigning themselves that they can look at to you know, constantly focus on that North Star Get, you know, continue to show the little progress or the small progress. Um, and also another thing, is there any, you know, new metrics that they can use in these conversations to their, to their board or as an organization to show that they are making that sort of strides? Oh, that's also a good question. Uh, I think one of the things that, that you need to, to start looking at is who your competitors are. Right. We, we are so used to looking, you know, uh, across the street to see the, the the mixed insurance company, and then we're comparing our prices and everything, <laughs> our service and, and everything to, to them. And and I've heard, I guess, one time too many people saying that, yeah, I know our customer service isn't the best, but look at our competitors; it's much worse. And then and then they've settled for that. Uh, I think it's it's time that that you realize that that your competition is not insurance companies especially uh, when you're looking digital, right? Because where, where are we spending most of our time when we go online? We, we are spending most of our time on Google, Netflix, Amazon. We are spending on our, our smartphones, Apple, right? So this is, this is our expectations as consumers now. We expect the world to be as easy as Apple, as intelligent as Amazon, you know, and as entertaining as, as Netflix. So, so when, when we go from one of these areas and boom, it's game over, right? That is one of the things that, that, that insurance companies have to start thinking of. If you, if you look at uh, Amazon and, and Google and so forth, you will see that they have all uh, started their own insurance departments or units. Yeah. One of my good friends, he's managing director of insurance at Google now. So, so these giants, they want insurance to happen. And why? Because they need they need a new source of revenue. If they if they're going to continue their growth, it's Amazon, Netflix, Google, and, and this kind, right? If, if they, they will have to put, uh, I think it is one trillion US dollars each of the companies over the, the, the next three years. You don't get that from selling more uh, of the existing goods or selling more advertising. For you get it from getting into financial services, which is insurance and banking. So it, it will come. 
it for sure it will come. Yeah. So, uh, and also on that side, and this is a discussion I've had many times, I do not think that um, the, the big tech, they want to have their own insurance companies, but I think they want to, to, to sell it as embedded insurance. So, so we as insurers have to start thinking about how do we make our products or integration attractive enough to, to offer our insurance as embedded. So, so, so this is one thing back to, to, the, to the marketing, to the online. You, you have to think this, this is your threat picture for, for the next couple of years, and this is what you have to think about. For, for the metrics, and, and I simply forget the term, that there is a metric who, who measures the, the hassle of getting things done. Okay. I, think, I think it's called effort. Okay. I think it's called effort, effort score or something like this. Okay. Effort score, it's, uh, where, where, where you see, and this, this is also following on what I said about we as consumers are used to the ultra simple interfaces from Amazon and, and, and Google and them. So that there is this index where you are measuring how difficult is it, what, how much effort do your customers have to put in to, to solve a given task, get a quote, file a claim, Mm -hmm. or whatever it is and and this is a metric that's really interesting because mm. it only shows how easy your site is to navigate but it also shows how many clicks or, or how difficult it is or how automated your, your processes are mm -hmm. so it, it's more a, it's a it's a good metric for transformation as well because when, when you work with transformation you, you work with automation yeah. and optimization right yeah. so i think that that's that's probably i think it's called effort score that, that's probably something that's uh, that's worth looking into right interesting we will definitely look that up and put it in the show notes as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean that's a great that's a great metric, and I haven't heard that before. And I think boards usually uh, tend to focus on how many hours, how many people are you saving from this automation, and that's kind of a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and good that you mentioned embedded uh, insurance. And our, our yeah. next question is a little bit tied to that. It's really about you know smart devices that are kind of. Entering our lives, and uh, we have seen you know various sort of fitness trackers getting into tie-ups uh, with insurers, uh, you know, South Africa, Asia, and so on. Uh, wondering, you know, if there is an opportunity for that here in the UAE with some of the critical illnesses like diabetes that that's prevalent here, and uh, we just noticed that there is a, a recent insurtech that seems to have tied up with. Uh, these whoop bands. So, any thoughts on that? Good to hear. I think um, yes, but, but it's, it's a long, it's a long, it's a long term, uh, it's a long term project, and, and it's also worth looking at the, the demographics or the population uh, and the characteristics of, of especially the UAE or the Middle East in general, because we are we are still what sixty percent experts. Uh, living or even more in, uh, I think, 70% in the UAE, isn't it? 70% expats. Uh, and the characteristics here is that we are offered the health insurance, if we're talking about health insurance at the moment, right? Yeah. But typically by our uh, employers. Yeah. And our employers typically, unless you are within a health insurance company, yeah. our employers <laughs> typically change health insurer year on year, every second year to look for better deals or, or to keep the competition hot, right? Yes. And, and, and these trackers and fitness trackers, these are typically products that, that gives you the benefit of a long-term relationship. Hmm. So if, if, you, if you start wearing a health tracker today, then you will see the benefits quite fast, but your insurer will see them over a longer period of time, which, which makes it very difficult to, to create a good case 
in the UAE because the, the, the buyers, the main buyers of, of health insurance are, are, are switching provider year on year. Mm. So, 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 the, so the insurer won't have the time to reap the benefits of investing in these devices. Right. Uh, that being said, I still believe that there is a huge uh, potential. Uh, now, now you see our, our, our Emirati population, right? This is, this is a, they are the thicker program that, that demand proudly uh, manages. Here, it, it would make good sense because this, this is a cradle to grave, so to speak, uh, relationship. And, and here, uh, fitness trackers are being used and, and will be used more simply to, to improve the overall health of the population. But but within health, I I don't think for the expat population it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to create a good business case. Mm. You, you have the apps and you have the fitness trackers and the challenges with, with the step challenge and all these things that are really good for, for the society, for for the for the country. But again, it's very difficult to, to, to put it into, into a business case with return on investment, which is what you would you would need to have in order for an insurer to start in investing in it. Yeah. And you've seen for cars also. Uh, I think when that was actually when, when we first met in 2015 and 16, where 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 we launched in QIC the, the very first telematics product for for vehicles. Mm -hmm. and that was 2015, and it, it was a very very good product, and nobody bought it. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> because because the, um, the the benefits of the product came late after one year, right? and and you still had this feeling of of being uh, somebody was was monitoring what you were doing. Right. I, I'm not. I, I feel that that we as as consumers still have this reluctance. I've, I've heard of uh, of some of these telematics products who who are coming and giving us pretty smart now because. They're giving you the, the rewards on, on a monthly basis. And I think when, when that launches, then you, you have a good case, right? Because then, then you will be motivated or, or even on a weekly basis. And this week you've been a good driver, here's your reward. And, and I think that would work. But, but I, I, I do feel it's, um, and again, you see even for, even for car insurance that the average expat stays in, uh, stays in the UAE for, four, no, for three and a half years. And again, you, you would want the expat to be to do don't change insurance company for that period of time in order for you to gain the investment of the telematics product back. Mm -hmm. So it, it is it is difficult to make these kind of business cases in, in the Middle East, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective because they, you know the, uh, the wearables like Whoop and Steffi, I think they want to work on your instant gratification. They want you to show straight away how well you're doing. But then from an insurance perspective, you're right. As of now, I think it's after a year that you start to really reap rewards. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, going back to a, a, a core subject, I think, um, you know, you, you, you're passionate about and you are an expert as well in your current and your previous roles, you've had significant experience in cloud migrations. Now tell us some key lessons that you've learned along the way and what is the role of a two-speed IT in this and what advice would you give to the IT heads and digital leaders in this region? Two-speed two IT is, is not that connected to, to, to right. cloud migration. It, it makes, it, 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 in, some space, in some cases, it will make it easier if, if you are in the cloud, but, but, but two-speed IT is, is more the concept that, that we touched briefly upon in the very beginning where, where, where you basically isolate your, your core insurance system uh, under 
connective layers, API layers, and then you can build fast-moving layers on top of this. So, so you actually have, have chances to change your, your business processes or, or your websites or your apps without having to go in, into the core system. Right. And, and of course, if you look at this from a cloud perspective, then, then you could argue that, that, you, that you keep your, your core insurance system uh, on-premise uh, in your existing system, uh, server park and then move the rest to the cloud uh, because then you, you would have the opportunity to start moving quite fast with, with the layers of integration, you no know, layers of um, differentiation and, and engagement where, where you have to work with, with your business processes for your transformation and you have to work with your customers for engagement. But, 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 but the general concept of, of moving to the cloud, I hope that most of my colleagues are at a point now where, where we don't have to persuade them to, to go to the cloud anymore. I think that, uh, I, don't, I don't think we have any, <laughs> I don't think we have any any uh, good arguments left for why we wouldn't. There have been some arguments about the data has to reside in the UAE, but now we have all the cloud providers in the UAE, so that doesn't work anymore. I think uh, I think it is probably the, the the fear of losing control that that makes people resist going to the cloud. Uh, so, so I, have, I have a couple of observations here. The first one, though, is don't expect that you're going to save too much money by moving to the cloud. Uh, yes, you, you will most likely be saving uh, internal resources because you don't have to have the same people keeping the light on at the servers. But but that money goes to keeping the lights on at, at the hosting center. Uh, so I, I don't think you should you should don't build a cloud case on saving money because you would be disappointed. You, you may be able to, but but the cloud case should be built on several other topics. First of all, your ability to speed up deliveries of what you're doing is, is going to increase significantly. And then I guess you can make a, a case about if, if you can go faster to market because you're doing two speed, you can start getting money out of investments faster and so forth. So maybe you can do it, but yeah. it's not the specific cloud move, right? So, so that's one thing. Another thing is, is cybersecurity, because think, think of a, a, a normal insurance company. How, how many people would we have in working dedicated to cybersecurity? Two, three, maybe. Yeah. And their responsibility is to take, keep track of all cybersecurity for 1,200 or 1,500 employees, right? Plus all the customers, plus everything. And, and that, that's a big task. If you move to a cloud provider, these two or three people will not go anywhere because they still need to work with a cloud provider. But the cloud provider has many, many more customers. So chances are that the cloud provider have 50 to 70, maybe even 100 people working full time on cybersecurity. Yeah. Now, I know where I would like to place my money, right? Would you like to have it somewhere where you have three people working their butts off to keep all this safe or 70, 100 people? Mm. The cloud providers also have uh, the means of investing much more. They have uh, much more advanced uh, dashboards and, and, and monitoring than, than most companies can buy simply because it's going to be too expensive to buy these very advanced tools. The cloud providers have them. So, so in that sense, uh, again, cloud is, is something that I firmly believe in. Uh, in my previous company, when, when we moved to the cloud, we, we simply took uh, overnight, all operations, everything, and moved out from, from the server center to the cloud. It took less than 24 hours. And when the, the employees come back on, on, on work the, after the weekend, they couldn't believe the speed and the simplicity on how everything was working. Mm -hmm. so, so I would say going to the cloud, for example, you would also have a, a, a much better hotline because, again, you'll have more people manning the phones and helping. So, so these are some of the considerations that, that you need to take in. Um, 
to, to think about when, when you're thinking cloud. And of course, the your ability to, to scale up and down depending on the demand and, and fluctuations in, um, in, in seasons, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a good point. You know, it's really about the agility that cloud gives to the business. Uh, yeah. and, and, I, and I love that point about cybersecurity. You know, they're, they're a whole lot more concerned about keeping their cloud safe than, than maybe a small insurance or, or a medium-sized insurance company is. That's a, that's a good point. And, and, you know, I mean, this is a bit of a, you know, subjective question. And you look back, uh, you sit, sit back, you know, and, and just look at the region or maybe globally. Uh, do you see a couple of examples of insurers who have got this, you know, and this being transformation, approach to cloud and customer service, you know, and, and they're taking the right approach? Yeah, uh, there is a, a single life out of uh, Singapore. They they they've done the right things. Uh, mm -hmm. I think when when we are when we're looking at this, I would I wouldn't generalize, but in more general, I would I would look at the, the far eastern insurance companies. Mm -hmm. I I feel because they they they've skipped an evolutionary step, where where the Western and the Middle Eastern insurance company we've taken step by step by step. I've, you know, if, if you go to China, you'll, you'll see that that the population of the youth today making the old saying, but they've, <laughs> they, they, they've skipped they've skipped the personal computer, right? They went directly from from nothing to the to the smartphone. Yeah, right. And and, and I've, I feel the Asian insurers they've taken far eastern insurance company they they stepped they skipped a evolution way that you you approach data and how you can use data. And, and 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 that makes them. Uh, what can I say? They, they, that makes them faster in their approach to doing the right things. Out of uh, the first mini MBA in digital insurance, out of uh, out of Hong Kong, Singapore, and and still, I think we are on the on the seventh or eighth cohort now of uh, of students, and and there, there is still an, an overrepresentation of of Far East Asian students. And, and I feel this when we have these very, very life-giving uh, discussions with them that yes, they struggle also and they, they have bureaucracy and cyber problems and, and IT problems, but, but their approach to using data is different. And I think that is most likely what the rest of the world has to learn because the second we, we really understand the, the, the value of real data, then we also understand how we have to change our operating models, our enterprise architecture, and so forth to work with it. And then we're starting to get it right. I think that's that's where the major change will come from. Interesting. Well, that brings very beautifully to the next question. I mean, no doubt data is so critical in this whole digital transformation piece. Um, can you tell us how you use that in your organization in Daman and, and, and the, the results it has shown for, for the organization and um, you know, if you can share some examples, it'd be great. We are we are at a point now where where we are crafting a, a master data management strategy, which okay. is uh, is a term that I hope most know. But if not, they they should look it up. Master data management is is accepting the fact that you have data scattered all over the place accepting the fact that you don't necessarily have to put all your data every night into a data warehouse and use right. the data warehouse for your for your analytics and the way that you're doing things master data management works with with the concept that is called uh, the golden record mm -hmm. which which is is a record of of pointers to where the single source of truth 
for each element in a product is so if, if your product could be then let's say you're working with the concept of of a customer and the customer have purchase history phone numbers mobile all these things you won't necessarily have all this information in one place the golden record will tell you where you have the single source of truth of what product this customer bought the last time what email address he or she is using yeah. data birth and all these things so when you start changing the data you also know what only place to change the data and that becomes very very it's, it's vital if, if you want to use your data for your predictive analysis for fraud waste and abuse in, in the insurance industry for for data mining and all these things you, you need to trust your data and and in my experience even though it is how, how can i say this even though it's, it's, it's less sexy to talk about this it is it is the single point of departure for any successful transformation of, of a company you have to get your data right mm -hmm. and when, when you're getting your data right you don't have to get them 100% right because that's impossible but make sure that you you know exactly what elements are the most important things you're working with like that could be a, a product your products your your customers maybe your your locations um, these things have to be 90% correct and then you will start from there and, and work with your data so you can start doing machine learning and artificial intelligence and all the smart things but, but you you can't apply these techniques on, on to bad days because then then you're not going to get any viable results out of it yeah right. so, so so that's that's um and, and of course with, with our abundance of data in, in demand when when COVID hit we, we were actually able to to use we have uh, 15 years of uh, of health records uh, for, for, for the for the local population so 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 we, we were able to 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 predict who was having the greatest likelihood of contracting COVID and if they got COVID having uh, complications. So, so we could actually reach out to them and, and, and advise wow. them on specific uh, precautions. So, so, so having the, the right data set and, and knowing how to use it ethically is, is exceptionally important. Yeah, and then, then you have the, the, the classic use cases, but but this is this is for another discussion. But but I could also discuss this forever, right? Because when you start looking at artificial intelligence, automated underwriting, machine learning, then then you're you're looking into the problem of of explaining why the systems come into the prices that they do. Right? If you use your data for for automated underwriting. Well, it hasn't come to, to the Middle East yet. It's in the, in, in the US at the moment, right? Because you need to be able to explain why did you get that person that price? Yeah. If you use advanced artificial intelligence based on a million factors from, the, from what they can find on online, from your history and all these things, then all of a sudden, then you can explain the price and then, then you're not allowed to, to use that. So, so again, when, when you start looking at data and working with data, make sure that you keep this explainability so you actually understand what's going on in, in the black box, which can which, which will be complicated once you start looking into advanced machine learning. Yeah, sure. indeed, indeed. Uh, that's that's a, that's a lot of uh, you know uh, meaty stuff there. I think our audience will love that. Um, now, I just want to kind of uh, go a little bit into the future, and uh, there's a lot of talk and buzz, if you will, about Web three and the concept of a metaverse in which we will operate, we will live, work, um, and you know, hopefully buy buy insurance as well. And uh, you know, and you can see more and more digital goods like NFTs are being purchased by people. So now there's it comes with its own risks. So 
what do you think is the role of insurers in this space and will it be used as a risk mitigation tool or and will metaverse just become a distribution channel for insurance what do you see in the in the future yeah i don't think i'm going to be very popular by saying this but but i don't think <laughs> <laughs> but but just think think of, of insurance as a product nobody wants to buy yeah true <laughs> true just you know the of nfts <laughs> <laughs> no, no, if, if you buy an insurance product, then in most cases, because you're forced to, to get a home loan or car loan or you have to travel or whatever, yeah. uh, and, and you, you buy it and you pay a lot of money up front, and at the end of the day, you, you pray to the gods that you're never going to use it, right? So, so it's, it's a product you pay for that you hope you're never going to use. So, so I, I don't think we should have too high hopes of, of us going into you know, augmented reality and buy your insurance and our new digital brands because people won't care right so so our our role is of course understanding what new risk identity theft and and, if, and all these things that that needs to be covered this is this is one huge area of, of, of opportunity for insurance but i think the winners uh, also as we discussed the, the winners will will be the ones who understand the concept of embedded insurance so yeah. the winners will be the ones who understand to offer all the others who, who are selling in the metaverse a very, very simple, uh, just a flick of a switch thing. And then there is an added on insurance in the product that they're selling. And that, that's where that's where I would I would suggest you should you should focus your energy on understanding how do we create a modular architecture? How do we create you know modular underwriting modules? So 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 my customers or distribution channels would be able to to create your own products and offer to their customers. And uh, in, in again, the, the least with, with this, in, at the least path of resistance, right? This effort score again as simple as possible, yeah. both for the end users, but but even more so for, for the ones that you would like to work with as distributors, because they will have millions of opportunities. Because the metaverse is by definition worldwide, right? Yeah. So so you wouldn't care if the insurance company is next door or on the other side of the planet, which increases right. your your competition significantly. And, and therefore, you have to be as simple to work with as possible. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you can see a few companies like Etherisk and I think Nexus Mutual, et cetera, taking some strides in this. So it'll be interesting yeah. to watch how yeah. this develops. So coming back to the reality here in the region, uh, let's talk about the insurtechs that is there here in, in and around the region. What has been your outlook um, on partnerships with these insurtechs and how has it evolved over time? Are there any active projects that you are you working with them that you'd like to share with our audience? I think on, on the onset, I think there is, and I'm very happy for this, I think there is a, a wide range of, of very, very promising insurtechs in the region. Right. Uh, I'm working with them as, as much as, as, I, as I can. Right. I think my, my biggest learning is that for, for incumbents and for insurtechs, the, the biggest problem that they we have is, is figuring out how to work together. In insurtechs, in, in insurtechs, they, they are under pressure to get results done fast. They need to, to get new business so they can secure the next round of funding or even just have money to pay the salaries. True. So they, they are really in a hurry to get things done. And they're also a very small edge and a nimble company in most cases. So, so they can move fast, right? They, they can put together a contract and send it overnight and that's it. Whereas uh, incumbent insurance is completely the opposite. It takes us 12 months to, to, to create a contract and go through a procurement. <laughs> thing. So, so 
this, this is a huge mismatch, right? Because it's not like insurance companies don't want to work with insurtechs. There's a lot of opportunities, but we, we in many cases, see these problems where, where the insurtechs, they get fed up simply. No, no way it's, it's going to happen because it takes too long. And, and the insurers, on the other hand, also say we can't work with them because they're, they're, they're pressured from us. They don't understand us. Yeah. So I, I think I think this is one of the things that that both parties have to address in the future. Insurtechs have to understand that you can't do this with incumbents. It's just not possible. Mm. And incumbents have to understand if if we want to move ahead, we also have to <laughs> change our rules a little. So now, yeah. what what we've done, we spend a lot of time. I have to say, um, with our first real insurtech, which was uh, Okadoc for for our digital health journey. And, and, and thanks to them and thanks to what we did together, we now have a, a quite effective uh, modus operandi for how would we onboard new insurtechs. Uh, and, and so, so I guess we can say that, I'm not saying that, that they were the guinea pig uh, Okadoc, but, but we spent a lot of time figuring out how do we scale our relationship with them? How do we make sure that we not only create a successful pilot with them, uh, but, but also scale and roll it out to all our two and a half million members? And, and that's succeeding now. We, we have the, the appointment book, we have the doctor search, and we have a lot of uh, very exciting things coming up with Okadoc. And, and thanks to them and that strong relationship we have with them, it's also now uh, opened up for us to onboard other insurtechs that, uh, that I can tell about a little later. But, but now our process, because of this first pilot, has become much, much simpler. We understand how to how to, to put together our systems in a more modular way, how to work with them, how to, in the beginning, also align expectations, saying, we like to do this, these are the things we have to go through because we have our own compliance and internal audit and regulations we have to follow, we are a financial institution. So this is the time frame, and, and you just have to plan for that in our relationship. And, and to me, that works, that works. So, so I'm very, I'm very, I have high hopes for, for the future of, uh, of collaboration between insurers and insurers. Very good. That, that's yeah. great. And I guess some of these things like uh, open insurance, APIs, et cetera, et cetera, will also speed this whole collaboration piece up. But insurtechs have to always remember that, you know, uh, you guys are answerable to the regulator and it's, it's, it's not an easy you know, task and you have capital of the shareholders that you need to protect. So oh. these are big things. Um, yeah. As we kind of uh, come towards the end, uh, I mean, by the way, this has been smashing. I mean, I wish we could carry on, but yeah, <laughs> there, there's a message uh, we, we, we often ask is, is there a message that you would like to send to anyone? Is there a, uh, you know, billboard that you would like to have on Sheikh Zayed Road, which has your <laughs> message? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, I think it's a couple of things, right? And, and we've touched upon it quite a few times. <clears throat> the, the first is um, that the digital transformation is, is working with humans and change of habits. Yeah. And, and this, this is the first uh, you know, ingredients in this magic source of success. You, you, you have to understand that. Yeah. Don't, don't listen to all the local, local, don't listen to all these vendors who promise the world, right? Because <laughs> you, can buy all, you can buy all the systems that you want, but, but if people don't want to change to start using them, just forget it. Yeah. So, so that, that's one thing I think is exceptionally important for, for everybody that works in, in transformation to, uh, to, to remember. And, and the other thing is, is also, we've discussed many times, is this break whatever you do down into to, to measurable chunks. I would, I would even claim that that if somebody proposes a six-month project, 
they haven't done their, their homework well enough. Break it down to two projects with deliverable, deliverable, no, measurable results of three months, right? So progress this way, because when you progress this way, you not only motivate the people who work on the pro projects because they can see after three months, hey, it's already working, but, but you also start changing the culture and, 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 cre and start creating a, a can-do culture in the organization because they can see, hey, it's actually working and it, it doesn't take years. Sure. And again, your, your sponsors, the management, the board of directors, they will see that, hey, it's working. So they will continue funding what you're doing. So I think these, these are the two things that I would say we, we're working with people and, and, and change uh, changes of habit and, and break things down into small measurable chunks. That's, that's probably uh, the, the two most important things when you work in, in business transformation. Fantastic. Awesome. Great pieces of advice, wise words. <laughs> And uh, thank you. with that, probably we, we should say thank you very much for being here at FS Brew. And we really enjoyed this conversation. Thank Likewise, you. my pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Very good. Hi, it's me, Ranjit. If you enjoyed this episode, I request you to leave us a review this will help us to reach more great podcast listeners like you. Thank you.